sad time, and perhaps we'll get out a little bit quicker and get a chance to just more or less get into our prayer life for the family. But we'll be reading from Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and it seems like a very good, very good scripture for us to read tonight. You wouldn't mind standing again for the reading of God's Word. We'll read probably the first three verses. 12th chapter of Hebrews simply says, Wherefore, seeing we also are accomplished about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. It alone has stood the test down through the centuries of time. It's just as vital and vibrant and real now as it ever was even from the time they was penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We realize, Father, that if there is any comfort in this world, we find it in your word. If there is any courage, Master, it comes from there. If there is any life, it has to come through the knowledge of your divine word. Father, we thank you again tonight for the privilege of having it, the privilege of being able to read it, and also for the living word which resides within. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think it's old scriptures. Perhaps it's been used as much or more than any scriptures there are in the Bible. But still it seems to whisper more to us in the day and hour that we're living in when almost all of the powers of hell are unleashed in our lives in more ways than we could ever reckon with. And it seems like the Apostle Paul pinning Hebrews was telling us at the offset that we're compassed about with a cloud of witnesses. In other words, there's people that have stood the test, that's gone on before us, and they stand telling us that it can be done. That a life, victorious life, can be lived, and even through our weaknesses, that we can make it in. He's saying, as those witnesses stand and testify of that, that we're to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Such valid words that comes from that man's lips, I have to sometimes sit and ponder what he's saying. Lay aside every weight. And the sin that does so easily beset us, as if he's living in your day and mine, as if he's sitting right by us in our times and telling us that there's no way that we can cross the finish line of victory without laying aside every weight. You'll notice in a race they strip down to the barest necessities. 
because anything else would be a hindrance to their running. And Paul is liking that to a race there. Again, that we lay aside every weight, anything that would hinder us. He's asking us to get that aside and lay it down. And he makes a separation between a weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. There's sins that beset us easily. He's asking us to to allow ourselves to be judged by the Holy Spirit of conviction inside of us. But he's letting us know that there's weights also, things which not necessarily sins, but things that we load upon ourselves which are unnecessary. And then he tells us we have to run it with patience. We can't be anxious in this race as we head toward the finish line because if we become anxious, then we're liable to not pace ourselves in our running and we're liable to become too anxious to get there and almost get there and then stumble and fall. I started to think sometimes when I look at lives that have been lived, and I have seen lives that have been lived good, clean lives for years. And then trials come, disappointments come, discouragement comes, and the devil puts everything he can in our way. I like the testimony that Sister Liz made, everything to keep us out of the house of God. Now, he realizes that's where our strength comes. If from nothing else than for just rubbing shoulders and shaking hands and being in the presence of people with like precious faith. If nothing else, listening to testimony, sharing in songs, because the Bible tells us that we're not an island in ourselves. In essence, we are one in him and labors together with him. And the devil would like to make us think that we can get along entirely by ourselves, but especially in the day and hour we're going into, we cannot. But he's telling us patience is the order of the day. I think Revelations tells us time and time again, in our patience we possess our soul. Now that enables us to roll with the punches, all right? That enables us to see loneliness, despair, know it's part of our life, and uh, don't get uptight about it. Uh, Little Sam sings that song so pretty and so beautiful as though used to get uptight. And I think Paul was realizing we'll do this because this is human nature. All of these things, we'll carry weights that is necessary for us to carry. We'll go on guilt trips that we shouldn't go on guilt trips. We'll take somebody else's load and carry that when they're not trying to carry it themselves. And he lets us know that there'll be sins that sidetrack us real easy. need to be aware of that. And then in this, we become impatient. Any impatient. Anytime a person's life gets hurried and uh, any time things happen in our life, we're prone to get impatient. That is human nature. And the Apostle Paul is telling us that if we're going to finish the race, now, I think Ecclesiastes, the wise men wrote this, that the race is not to the swift. I mean, it's not to the ones that runs the fastest. It's not the ones that, that makes the most noise our people just see them. I've seen people come into the kingdom of God running and like a flash in the fire, the first thing you know, their life is lived out. They have rejoiced. They have run the aisles. They have spoken in tongues. They have captured almost every spiritual gift there is within a matter of a few years. And then after all this has gone, so are they, a flash in the fire or a flash in the pan. And he lets us know that this is a race until the end of time. I think he's trying to tell us that that it, it's not going to be an easy race 
to be won. And then he says, how are we going to run it? Looking unto Jesus. In other words, how can you run this race by looking at everything that's besetting us? Every problem, we've got them. They're there. Paul had them. We've got them. We'll have some more. But there's no way that we can hone on and, and, and think about finishing unless we look to Jesus. Unless we realize He is still in control. This world may seem out of control, but Jesus is still in control. And He's trying to let us know that we have to look to Jesus. And then He says some words to me as important. He's the author of my faith. He started my faith. He was there when I prayed through and I accepted the faith. But not only is He that, but He's the finisher of my faith. In other words, if I start with Him, I'll finish with Him. Hallelujah. So we have to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then it says, for the joy that was set before him. Not the joy that he saw then. Very little joy in the Apostle Paul's life other than he was doing the will of God. Didn't have too much to shout about. Uh, Didn't have too much, uh, I don't suppose, to rejoice about other than the fact that he did belong to Jesus. But he was letting us know that for Jesus endured, author and finisher, the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. And then to the scripture that I wanted to get to, for consider him that endured. Now I want us to just almost write that on our memory bank, for consider him that endured. Tells us what he endured, but I just want those words to register in our mind because we have to consider Him. There's no way that we can complete our journey and complete our race other than considering Him that endured. And it says He endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself. And it says, now you're going to have to consider Jesus. What He endured and what He overcome, if you don't, you're going to be wearied and faint in, faint in your mind. Now, there's a spiritual graveyard filled with individuals that's become weary with traveling this road and running this race. They have simply saw no good thing, trouble after trouble, trial after trial, loneliness after loneliness, discouragement after discouragement, uh, one step forward, two back, and it seems like they're getting no place, no place whatsoever. And our minds become weary, and then they begin to faint. I'm going to say it again, as I have often the warfare that's being waged today is our mind. If the powers of hell can get our mind, it's got us completely. It's got our whole being. And that's the first thing the devil works on is to make us weary in our mind. That's why a lot of people's home tonight, they're weary in their mind. They've had a bad day. They've had a hard day. Uh, they they've, have had hours and moments maybe of sickness or Problems are pain and so on. And pain wearies our mind. Well, tiredness in our body wearies our mind. And so we collapse. And Paul warns us about this. God, I wish some way I could reach into the heart and make people realize that Paul warns us. He foresaw, took pen in hand and wrote it down. I think he wrote it for our day as much as he did for anybody else's day. Maybe even more than for his. Because they underwent a lot of physical torture. The Apostle Paul knew when he was tortured, he was being tortured for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of times when we're weird in our mind, we're not sure whether we're, this has come upon us for the name of Jesus Christ or not. We're just not sure what is happening. But he was doubly sure that whatever happened in his life, he was suffering for Christ. 
He was suffering physical torture which is far easier to deal with and know what you're dealing with than the mental torture and torment that is coming in the world. And you notice nations, they don't use as much physical torture as they used to because physically they can make a man say anything. Put enough pain in their bodies, they'll say anything. But that doesn't capture the man. That doesn't take him captive at all. What captures a man is when you move in his mind and control his mind, and then you've got him completely. And so you see, the devil is not using as much physical torture as he used to because he's found in your day and mind it's easier to work on the mind. Control the mind, you control the whole being. You cause people to lay down on their faith, you cause them to lose sight of God, and Paul is saying in this writing, you have to consider him. If you're not considering Jesus in your walk of life, every day you're going to faint and become weary. Now, how do we consider him? Well, we almost have to start with his weariness mentally. Jesus underwent as much mental torture probably as he did physical torture, and I think probably that weighed heavily, more heavily on his mind than his, than his physical torture. He knew the agony he was going to have to suffer. I mean, he was not blind to the fact of what the agony of the cross was going to do as far as human flesh is concerned. And mentally he knew this. He registered all this up here. And you can tell how he suffered mentally when he went to the uh, Golgotha or when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and there he prayed in the agony of his soul. He was tortured mentally up here because he was foreseeing the pain that was there. And then he took his three trusted disciples with him and returned three times and found them asleep. Mentally, that had to disturb him also. And uh, he wasn't sustained by human hands. He wasn't sustained by the help of the human mind. And that lets us know something. We have to consider him now. He's asking us to consider him. And when everything else had failed and he was left alone... He was sustained by the apparition or the appearance of Moses and Elijah appearing in glory and spake of his decease. In other words, standing there giving him the courage to be able to face that which was before him. That road that he was going to have to travel and he overcame more in Gethsemane than he ever overcame in Golgotha's hill. He had already been the overcomer when he walked out of Gethsemane. But let's consider him as he suffers physically. Now Paul again is saying here, and I want you to listen to it, in order for us to be able to complete the race, we have to consider Jesus. Able for us to be able not to be weary in our minds and in our hearts and faint, we have to consider him. What did our example do in times of distress greater than we will ever suffer? What did he do? And if we're doing that, we consider him mentally. And the Bible immediately let, it lets us know that when human hands can't reach you mentally, and the human voice can't get to your ears mentally, that there is a supernatural force that immediately makes itself known, set down by us, and we need to be aware that it's there, and it undergirds us and strengthens us and gives us power to face whatever obstacle is in our way. But we have to realize he's there. He's not going to sound a gong. He's not going to ring a bell. He's just going to expect us to know, according to the Word of God, that when we have reached 
human limitations, he's there. Can you say hallelujah? He's there. And if we don't consider the fact that he's there, we will get weary. And we will faint in our minds. And then we are a good candidate for spiritual death. Amen? Spiritual death. You can die a spiritual death. But look at him physically as he suffers. Bible says, and we've said this often, great drops of sweat like blood falling to the ground. And uh, he's weary and he's tired. And he's met as he comes out of the garden. He's met by a friend and a pupil of three and a half years. And that friend and pupil immediately gives him the kiss of betrayal. As he said, and the words of Jesus was this, Friend, why are you here? In other words, Judas denounced Jesus. Jesus did not denounce Judas. And there again, the Apostle Paul is saying, When we consider him, we're going to have to consider also that when friends fail, Jesus never does. Amen? When every friend we have reaches as far as he can. Now, I'm not saying friends will turn their, their back on you. I think a good friend is going to be there. But there is limits to the best friend in the world. He can't, there's, there's places that he cannot, he would like to, but there's places he cannot walk with you. I found that out to death of my father. I'd always relied upon... Christian friends, and they'd always been good for me. But you enter into a place where their words don't ring a bell. I mean, they're there, you feel them, you're glad they're there, but they can't walk with you through that darkness. And so in those times, we have to consider Jesus. We have to consider that His hand is able to reach down and sustain us. He'll put His arm around us, press us to His bosom, and say it'll be just fine. And it always is just fine. So we've got to consider that also. If we're betrayed, Jesus is telling us and there are people that will betray us. I suppose it, you never learn. I don't, and I don't know that I want to. I, I, I've had a betrayal of a lot of people in my life, but still I find that I put confidence in friends. And I think that's the way it ought to be. Instead of letting it sour us on, on people and on humanity, if somebody betrays us, realize Jesus never will. And then go find another friend or something. Always find somebody to put confidence in. A lot of times uh, people just don't understand. Uh, take him now when his weariness when Peter cut off the high priest's ear. It was apparent to, to Jesus that Peter had very little understanding about what he'd ever taught him at all. He understood nothing. Nothing whatsoever about all the three years and a half he was trying to prepare them at least the last uh, half a year, trying to prepare them for his crucifixion. And uh, Peter, his closest one, understood very little about what he was talking about. And uh, a lot of times we can live a Christian life and we can witness and we can tell them about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and do this over and over. And very seldom do they understand very little of what we're talking about. And there's a certain weariness in that. And he's telling us here again, now when this happens, consider Jesus. Consider him now when early in the morning he's brought before the Sanhedrin, testified against by false witnesses, condemned and mocked. Consider him now, his actions and what he does. Consider him as he sees Peter far off and finally denies him three times. Consider him now and walk with him as the Sanhedrin leads him among tears and laughter of a people to Pilate. Pilate sends Jesus to Herod and Herod sends him back to Pilate. And Jesus hears the multitude cry that one time cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to our God. That same people almost 
that cries out, Crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Jesus felt the words of traitors, of individuals that give him praise one minute and immediately begin to ask for his crucifixion the next minute. And so when we have this in our life, see what a multitude of places it covers. When we have this in our life, consider Jesus, who had a goal, had some place to go and something he had to do, and nothing could deter him from walking to Golgotha's hill and surrendering himself to the cross at Calvary where he shed his life's blood for us. Consider him in moments and hours when we can consider nothing else. Move aside and consider him. Consider him when Barabbas is released. Consider him when he's crowned with thorns and beaten, spit upon, smitten, and laid, led forth to be crucified, suffering physical pain, mental pain, pain, torture. Consider his weakness of his body when he arrives. The panting, snarling mob at Golgotha offer him stupefying drinks, and he refuses it. Crucified between two thieves, and that's indignity upon top of indignity, stripped of his modesty and everything. And still he recognized he had a goal. He had something to look forward to. He could not allow the voice of the crowd to deter him. He could not allow his own feelings to deter him. He could not allow his mental weariness to deter him or his physical weakness to deter him. He had a goal. He had to march toward salvation of humanity. Yours and mine depended upon him that day in Golgotha's hill. And that's why the Bible says when these things happen, in our day, indignity on top of indignity is heaped on us. A lot of times we're mocked, we're laughed at, we're scorned, uh, we're sawn asunder in a sense, spiritually speaking, and it's an easy thing to become weary. We're weary with witnessing. We're weary with intercessory prayer. We're weary with our faithfulness to the house of God. We become weary. And the Bible tells us that if we don't consider Jesus and look what he did for us and that he is still our God, if we don't consider him, we're not going to be able to finish the race. We have to look to him. We have to walk toward him. And we have to consider what would he do or what did he do in my situation. What did God Almighty do when flesh suffered so much he came? Hallelujah. He was there. That's, that's what he did. We have to consider him. And we have to watch him also as he hangs suspended barely three feet from the earth between heaven and earth and cries his cries and watches the soldiers part and gamble for his garments. The Jews mock him and say he saved others himself he cannot save. The thieves rail on him, one believes on him. You have to consider him as he walks and as he hangs that day with the prerogative, with the prerogative of releasing himself from the nails that held him. Always that choice was his. He could have called 10,000 angels. So Paul is saying here, consider him with that choice. And then considering him with that choice that he refused to take because salvation depended upon him. Let's consider our choices we have today. Now, salvation of the whole world doesn't depend on us particularly, but perhaps salvation of one soul does. And yet we still have a choice as to whether we suffer to reach that soul or whether we sit back in the comforts and confines of our own life. 
And so what do we do when we're faced with a choice? We have to consider Jesus. We have to see what He did. And see, if we'll do that, Paul's saying there's no way in considering His life and comparing it to us, there is no way that we can ever become weary and faint in our minds because we're bringing to pass what happened to Him. All those cries that He made, weary physically, weary mentally, and weary spiritually. You see, he was weary in every aspect of his being, tired and weary. But, you know, we don't look to him as ever being that way. You see, that's the failure to see the humanity of Jesus. When we just make him God, then we don't feel like God can ever suffer. We don't feel like he can ever undergo physical torment, mental torment, and spiritual torment. So we have to consider him in his humanity and know that purposely he came, robed himself in human flesh so he could see and feel as humanity sees and feels and did it and yet was without sin for our salvation. So consider him. Those are immortal words. I think great words and challenging words. Weary he was. Probably more weary mentally than we will ever be. So when we become weary uh, mentally, consider him. Weary physically, almost beaten half to death, cross placed upon his back fell under the load of it, and still refused to be deterred from his mission. So we consider his weariness in the, fear, in the physical aspect. And then spiritually, how do you gauge his life spiritually? Now you have to know, that the reaction of his follows. You have to know that the crowd that thronged him for fishings and loaves and then was gone when he needed them. You have to know that would have to affect him spiritually. Don't you know that? Doesn't other people's attitude affect us spiritually? Isn't it easier for us to get in and worship God with a house full than it is with just a few? You know that it is. So what people do does affects us spiritually. You have to know that Jesus, as he looked around at that one time and just saw 12 people there, and he said, will you also go away? It had to deal his spirit a blow. I mean, he had to be affected by the fact that people followed him for what they could get, not what they could learn about him. This had to affect him. And then you have to watch him as he loses his closest friend, closest ally, and you have to wonder, doesn't that affect him spiritually? Sure it did. And you have to wonder whenever he was there by himself, not only was he mentally tired and physically tired, but he was spiritually, spiritually, spiritually drained. And I'm sure as he was kneeling there, what more could I have said to prepare my closest allies for this day? And yet they know nothing about what I'm going through. It's got to be hurtful spiritually. And so when we're hurt spiritually, consider him. What did he do? Hurt, beaten physically, mentally beyond words, spiritually despondent in a sense, walked out of Gethsemane, heavenly visit from the powers of Almighty God, and walked out and met his foe, put himself in their hands, delivered his body, his mind, his complete being into their hands, and looked toward the heavens and completed his course. He allowed nothing, no 
one, spirit or flesh, that deter him from being what he was supposed to be and doing what he was supposed to do. So when we're prone to faint in weariness, when we're prone to falter and fall, and when these things that I mention and much more, you've got to look over his life and see what he endured. When we're prone to faint, and we all are, Paul's admonition to us is consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And then he tells us something here that we ought to look at. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son, despise not thou this chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. That's in the word of God. Let's us to know that God sends forth that which he will and that which he would. But I think primarily that all of it's good. I think primarily if we can just some way write with indelible ink those five letters, five words, for consider him that endured. Consider him lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Shall we stand?